What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Lightning Lamp Podcast, and I am flying solo today, just me, myself, and I. And in this episode, we're just going to be discussing the second round series that ended after the last episode, as well as kind of what's going on in the third round as well. So uh, we'll start with the Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, I don't really know what to say about the Colorado Avalanche at this point. I accept that kind of I told you so a little bit, sort of. Um, you know, I, I had mentioned over and over again that I wasn't super in love with their defense in terms of just how small and how relatively inefficient in the defensive zone they had been up to that point. And, you know, I think that's really what, what was their, their issue in this series. I mean, look, obviously one of the big issues is not having Nazem Kadri available for the whole series. And that really, really, really put a tough, strain on the avalanche because they're missing their second line center but not only missing their second line center which means that somebody has to fill that gap you know Kadri is the perfect kind of player that they needed against the Vegas Golden Knights because when I watch this series this you know the difference in the first two games and the last four to me was that Vegas's forecheck was just all over the Colorado avalanche I mean they had no answers. Every time the puck was in his own, there was a Vegas four checker on the Avalanche defenseman, crunching them against the boards, pinging them up against the boards, causing turnovers. I mean, the Avs, they killed themselves in this series. They really did. They shot themselves in the foot repeatedly with turnover after turnover after turnover. And it, it was brutal, honestly. I mean, and this was the thing that I pointed out that I didn't really love the avalanche defensemen in terms of their defensive abilities you know vegas exploited an obvious advantage that they had in terms of size even the vegas forwards are some pretty big individuals i mean guys like mark stone are heavy on the forecheck one of the best at turning pucks over in the entire nhl even somebody like max pacioretty isn't that small of of an individual ryan reeves obviously big individual and they just caused chaos for the avalanche defensemen i mean there were so many times where avs defensemen were losing puck battles to the forwards they were unable to get it out because they got hit while they were trying to clear the puck just so many issues with the breakout i think was the really big thing and i mean honestly i thought for the most part that Vegas, that the Avalanche defenseman was doing a, you know, bang up job at keeping the rush chances low for the Vegas Golden Knights. I thought they were doing a pretty good job at using their speed, the advantage that the Avalanche had coming into this series, to mitigate a lot of the chances off the rush from Vegas. But the problem was once the puck got in the zone, Colorado couldn't win the, win the puck back. I mean, the forwards the, of the Avalanche were having issues with the Vegas defensemen because a lot of the Vegas defensemen 
were bigger than most of the uh, Avalanche forwards. I mean, obviously, you know, Tim and I talked about how Rantanen and Landeskog are big dudes, but, you know, there were some smaller forwards for the Avalanche that were having defensemen or having issues knocking guys like Petrangelo or Martinez or, um, you know, other defensemen for Vegas off the puck. And it was just causing chaos. I mean, they couldn't win a puck battle. Vegas was winning all the battles down low, and you saw the result. I mean, Avalanche couldn't really get the offensive flow going when they couldn't control the puck. And on the flip side, you know, the Avs' opportunity, like I said, was their speed. I really thought they needed to emphasize their speed more on the breakout and emphasize that in terms of trying to generate chances off the rush. But it just seemed like Vegas knew how to contain that, and the Avs just had no answer for the forecheck. I thought that the Avs were going to win this series. I thought that they were going to make that adjustment, and game six was just turnover after turnover after turnover, just misplays and missed opportunities for the Avalanche. And, you know, we're starting to see a pattern develop with them, unfortunately. Not being able to, you know, get past that second round in the entirety of Nathan McKinnon's career so far. I mean, granted, when he first came there, they weren't the greatest team. But, you know, you can make excuses for this, that, or the other thing. Last year, they had a lot of injuries. This year, Kadri went and got himself suspended which was a big issue because they didn't really have another center to really step up and play that second-line role, and plus a nasty forechecking, hard-body type center is the exact type of center that the Colorado Avalanche were missing in this series. But bottom line, end of the day, teams, good teams find ways to win hockey games. Good teams find ways to win series, and the Avs have not found that. You couldn't blame the goaltending, I don't think, this year. You couldn't blame injuries. You couldn't blame anything, really. I think that the Avs just made a mistake in their roster construction, and I think that Jared Bednar did not make the necessary adjustments that, obviously, Peter DeBoer did after Game 2. You know, so what does this mean for the Avalanche going into the offseason? I mean, we've already heard the rumor mill start that Kadri's on his way out, which, I mean, the the really unfortunate reality about Nazem Kadri is that he is a perfect playoff-type center. He's the kind of center you always want on your playoff teams. He's the kind of center that playoff teams need. Nasty, nose-to-the-grindstone, hard-checking-type centers. He's the kind of guy that you want on your side in the playoffs. He just can't stop getting himself suspended every single season. And so what's really the point of having him on the roster if he's not going to play and if he's just going to be a liability? I mean, ultimately, that's the issue is you can't bank on him being involved in the playoffs because he's either going to be hurt or if he's not hurt, he's going to go and get himself suspended. So the rumor mill is already starting in Colorado that, you know, Nazem Kadri might be on his way out. I think if they do make that decision that he isn't what the team is looking for that they need to seriously um, consider getting somebody in the same ilk, the same vein as Nazem Kadri, because you can't turn this team into the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is the, the direction that they're headed, quite honestly. 
in terms of just being in love with these speedy offensive type players. I mean, we saw it this year when they decided to move on from Nikita Zadorov and pick up a scoring winger in Brendan Saad. Now, don't get me wrong. Brendan Saad played fantastically for them for this playoffs. I think he was honestly um, one of their better players most nights. I think he was a great pickup. But the problem is you traded a checking big, strong defenseman for a speedy winger, and then the replacement for him was Devon Taze, who is another offensive-type defenseman. Um, it, it's just... It's just, you know, you, you can't trend in that direction. Because if you go that route, if you double down on this, you know you're gonna end up really kind of putting yourself in a in a tough situation. And so I think that's really something they need to to address this off season. I think they need to get bigger on the back end. I think they need to make a tough decision with one of their defensemen. I mean, really the only checking type defenseman they have at this point is Eric Johnson and, you know, Sammy Gerrard and Ryan Graves and Devon Tays and Kale McCarr are all fine defensemen, but none of that helped in this series because those offensive type players couldn't use their offense because they couldn't get out of the zone and it really you know no offense to any of the guys I just mentioned but you know if we were if we're looking at just the size factor alone you know Gerard is 5'10 170 Kale McCarr is 5'11 187 Devontae is 6'1", 191. You know, Graves and Johnson are big boys, 6'5", and 6'4", 220, and 225. Jacob McDonald is six foot, but 204. But, you know, even Patrick Nemeth is, is a stocky man, 6'3", 228. But he either didn't have a large enough role within the team or they just need more balance on the defensive end. And I think you need to make a tough decision with one of these guys because... Bowen Byram, as great as he is, guess what? He doesn't solve your size issue. And I think that we really, really saw that problem get exposed. So I think the Abs need to address the second-line center problem, whether that be via a trade from away from Nazem Kadri or somehow reining this guy in and getting a friggin' brain between his ears because he's a great player when he's on the ice. But he's never on the friggin' ice. And they need to address the issue on the back end of being super one-track mind in terms of the offense. So, you know, Colorado's got some things to address this offseason. Good for Vegas on, you know, moving on to face Montreal in the second in the third round. Um, you know, good for Peter DeBoer. I think he made a very important adjustment 
and it was one that Jared Bednar didn't answer to, and ultimately it won them the series. So um, Avs are going home, or they're at this point already home again. Um, the other series that had not wrapped up actually wrapped up in Game 6 as well. The New York Islanders eliminate the Boston Bruins in six games, and Boston is in a very, very interesting position this offseason. There's a lot of guys on this team that are going to need contracts and guys that are some pretty big names, honestly, all things considered. I mean, David Krejci is going to be a UFA. Taylor Hall is going to be a UFA. Guys like Andre Kasha and Nick Ritchie are restricted free agents. Then you have other guys like... You know, Brendan Carlo is a restricted free agent. How much money is he going to want? Mike Riley and Kevin Kevin Miller are UFAs. And then obviously, both your goaltenders are UFAs, which is, I think, the biggest question mark for this team is the fate and the future of Tuka Rask. Now, Tuka Rask has already gone on record and said if he doesn't play for the Boston Bruins, he's not playing at all, period. He's just going to retire. So... You know, the question for Boston becomes, do you just bring the core back? You know, you sign Krejci again, sign Tukarask again, sign a couple of your defensemen again, bring the core back and say, all right, boys, you know, let's give it another shot. Or do you decide, you know, enough is enough. You know, this team isn't getting any younger. Maybe we start to make that transition to the younger guys. So, you know, maybe we, we let David Krejci go. And maybe we try to re-sign Taylor Hall. If it doesn't work out, we promote one of the younger wingers. And, you know, in terms of the goaltending, you could go into next year with Jeremy Swayman and Dan Vladar if you're going in with the understanding that, look, honestly, this is going to be a commitment to another, another chapter of the Boston Bruins legacy because... You know, Rask is 34, Krejci's 35, Bergeron's 35, Marshawn's 33. You know, these guys still have some years left in the tank, but is it enough left in the tank to get you where you want to go, a.k.a. back to the Stanley Cup Finals? Obviously, they didn't. it wasn't all that long ago that they were playing the St. Louis Blues in the Finals, but, you know, those three years or two years, two or three years, make a big, big difference in terms of you know, the age of a lot of these players and their health. I mean, Tuka Rask was playing through a torn, uh, I think it was uh, his labium, uh, you know, was was busted up during the Islanders series. And, you know, it's it's a question mark for sure. I think there's a lot that's going to go on in, in this Bruins team in the offseason. I mean, pretty much all the indication we've been given from Boston management is that they're still going to try to compete. So, you know, at that point, it's it's a thing that you are probably going to end up bringing back a lot of these older players, which is going to be less playing time for perhaps some of the younger players that you might be trying to promote or boost in the roster. And... Then the question becomes, you know, quite honestly, if you bring all these guys back, is this team good enough to win a Stanley Cup? 
you know, if you let's say for argument's sake they are able to bring back Taylor Hall, which is questionable considering right now they have three hundred and seventy three thousand dollars worth of cap space and that's with Taylor Hall on a four million dollar deal. You know, you can probably get a cheaper deal out of David Krejci. You can probably well, Kasha and Nick Rich are going to be looking for their big boy contracts soon, so you might be able to convince them just to take like a one-year flyer kind of situation, but then like how much money are you paying Brandon Carlo, who's 24, you know? Can you really get Mike Riley and Kevin Miller back both on 1.5, even if they only ask for maybe like 1.7 or 2, you know, that's still money that you don't have for Taylor Hall, so you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to, to watch the Bruins this offseason. I think that they're a team that needs to kind of make a decision. You know, honestly, if it was me, I would let Tuka Rask uh, retire. I would say, you know, listen, or, you know, maybe actually, you, do, you know, you bring him back for one more year and you play him and either one of Swayman or Vladar underneath him the whole year. And you say, hey, look, you know, teach him the ropes because... You know, honestly, Tuca, not to not to kind of lay it out in plain English, but, you know, the organization's going in a different direction. You know, you don't re-sign David Krejci at that point. Um, you let one of the younger guys try to take that next step and play top-line center. Um, you try to get Taylor Hall back if you can just because you still need that winger, but I honestly think the Bruins should take a very serious look at potentially moving in a not a rebuilding but a retooling sort of situation you know because you still have pieces on here like Pasternak's only 25 Car- uh, Charlie McAvoy's only 23 Brendan Carlo's only 24 you know you have pieces that are young and obviously Swayman and Vladar are both 23 and 22 so maybe try to hit a short retool but the indication is that they're going to try to compete again so I do imagine that they're going to be aggressive in the market it's just going to be interesting to see where the money falls you know where they're going to be allocating their cap space so um, i'll just move on uh the bruins honestly their downfall in the series was just not being able to keep up with the the depth i think you know that the bruins depth really did not help them out in this series really outside of the first two lines the bottom six of the bruins in terms of their forwards didn't really do a whole lot the bottom six defensemen were, were really rough. I mean, Matt Grizzlick had a horrendous game six, quite honestly. It was rough. It was a rough, rough series for the Bruins, and I think that this is an opportunity here that you might not get again for a little, another couple of years to hit a retool and perhaps try to influx some youth into the team. So, um, We'll go on to the third round series now, and I guess we'll just stay with the New York Islanders. They're currently tied 1-1 to with the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Islanders taking game one by a score of two to one. Lightning taking game two by a score of four to two. Very odd two first games, honestly, for this series. Um, game one was as close to a dominating win as you're going to get with the New York Islanders in terms of obviously they're not going to score <laughs> five or six goals and win a game six to one more often than not. But what I mean by dominating is that they controlled the play. I mean, the Lightning scored with I think 54 seconds left on on a penalty six on four um because they had the goalie pulled but other than that I mean the Islanders for the most part controlled the play they were calm cool collected 
They they dominated puck possession. They seemed very much in control of the game right from puck drop. And you know, as as much as this team has the ability to cruise to a win, this is as close as you're going to get with them. And in game 2, I thought was the opposite. I honestly thought that the Lightning controlled play pretty much right from the get-go. I thought the Lightning had an excellent start to the game. You know, they scored pretty early on. I think the Islanders, you know, on, the Islanders' first goal was off of a absolutely horrendous penalty kill, which, you know, the, the referees in this game were just awful. I mean, let's 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 not beat around the bush here. All right, the call on Braden Point for goalie interference was terrible. It was awful. You know, you can say what you want. Oh, he didn't try to stop even after he got pushed. His skate blades were forward. Just that and the other thing. It was a bad call. Adam Pellick crushed him into Semyon Varlamov. There's no if ands or buts about that. And then on the same token, on the Andre Pollock goal, that uh, you know the two to one goal, the Lightning were playing with seven guys on the ice. Seven. Now there, you can make an argument. Well, it didn't impact the play because two guys are going to the bench. Bottom line is, it doesn't matter. That's a penalty. Penalty is a penalty, a penalty. You know, goalie interference is a judgment call. Too many men is a hard and fast rule. There's no judgment there on too many men. They had seven guys on the ice. So the referees all night were just bad. I mean, honestly, equally bad for both teams, in my opinion. Just horrendous refereeing. So, you know, but the difference in this game to me is... The Islanders weren't converting on their chances. I think, you know, the Islanders had, you know, only 26 shots on goal, but they had some quality chances. You know, let's not let's not take anything away from what Andre Vasilevsky was able to do in game two. A lot of those 24 shots were pretty high danger chances that Vasi was able to keep out of the net and keep the lightning in the game. So I, I think that, after the Lightning kind of got that confidence boost, you know, they pretty much controlled the game. I think the first period was fairly even, but the second and third period, the Lightning were, were kind of in the driver's seat. You know, they had a lot more of the chances. They were getting to their game, which is, you know, the hard and fast forecheck, using their speed and skill to their advantage. A couple of odd man breaks for the Lightning in this game that we really didn't see in game one kind of exposing the Islanders defense with that stretch pass so you know the first two games of the series very very odd honestly the Islanders I thought pretty much controlled game one I thought after the first period of game two the Lightning were more or less in a driver's seat in game two and you know it's going to be interesting the Islanders obviously they did what they wanted to do which is get that split on the road that's all you're ever really hoping for when you start a series on the road because you get that split on the road you know, you come back to your home building, tied 1-1, you can win both your home games, and you go up 3-1, and then, you know, from there, it's it's not a guarantee that you're going to put the team away, but you're in a very, very good position to do so, and, you know, the Islanders did their job in the road, but I think both teams need to make some adjustments. I think the Lightning made a good adjustment against the Islanders in terms of Game 2. I would still like to see the Lightning use their points a little bit more against the the Islanders in terms of letting guys like Sergachev and Hedman loose a little bit. They seemed a little bit stiff up at the top, not really trying to drive that center or trying to drive the outside wings and get into better positions as much. And the Islanders in Game 3 need to be way more disciplined. We can't keep putting the lightning on the power play the way we are. 
And bottom line, end of the day, full stop, you got to convert on your chances. Because honestly, against a guy like Andre Vasilevsky and against a defense that says, you know, against a, I won't say a defense that's a stellar, because I do think the Lightning have a good defense. But in terms of against a team that possesses the puck as well as the Lightning do, when you had the chance to get the puck in and when you had the chance to put that puck in the back of the net against a goalie like Vasilevsky and against a team that possesses the puck as much as the Lightning do, you have to bury it. I mean, you you might not get that many chances in a game and you really got to put them away when you do. And I think that was the really the big difference between these two teams in the last game. I mean, the Lightning buried their chances and the Islanders didn't. And, you know, this is a series where you're really starting to see and feel that loss of Anders Lee for the Islanders because, quite honestly, he's the exact kind of guy you need to beat a guy like Vasilevsky because he's just going to stand in front of him and take his eyes away. I mean, the four goals that the Islanders have scored, you know, outside of the Ryan Pollock goal in Game 1, have kind of been greasy, you know. They've kind of just been screens and odd plays, rebounds, so, you know... I would like to see the Islanders try to drive possession a little bit more, definitely keep more of a discipline. And from the Lightning, I do want to see their defensemen activating a little bit more. I think they're a little bit stiff right now. So definitely an interesting series. I mean, I'm still going to stick with what I put in my bracket. I I still do believe that the Lightning will come out on top. As far as how many games, honestly, I'll say six. I think that the Islanders will be able to take one of these two um, at home. And then ultimately, uh, I think the Islanders will fall in six games. But who knows? I mean, honestly, if the Islanders can get back to their game, you know, this series could go either way. I think this series is going to be closer than a lot of people think. And we're switching over to the Golden Knights and Canadiens series. They have game two tonight at 9 p.m. in Vegas. Game one goes to the Vegas Golden Knights by score four to one. A very odd game one as well. Um... Montreal, quite honestly, they dominated. They dominated the first 10 minutes of the first period. But the difference is they were not able to put the puck in the back of the net. I think if they score one or two of their early opportunities, this is a whole different ball game. I think they win if they are able to put some of those away. Because what that does is if you put some of those goals away... Um, You know, if you're able to put some of those goals away, you, you take the crowd out of it, I think, and you're able to settle into what you want to do, which is defend. And instead, Flurry stands tall. You know, you miss a couple of open nets. All of a sudden, Vegas gets one on a screenshot and different ball game. And honestly, from then on, the Vegas Golden Knights pretty much control the rest of the game. Quite frankly, without Carey Price in the net, this is easily like a six or seven to one hockey game. I mean, he made some unbelievable saves, like 10 bellers left, right, and center coming out from Carey Price in this one. And Montreal just unfortunately wasn't able to really build off of it. They had some opportunities, they had an early power play, couldn't get anything going. And the goals that Vegas scored were very much Vegas Golden Knight goals. I mean, you know, very uncharacteristically sloppy plays, too, from Montreal. I mean, the the Alex Tuck goal was 
honestly just horrendous i mean there's there's you know there's no other real way to describe what happens when there's a player at the top of the circles with a fake slap shot who then passes it over to a guy wide open for the one-timer because there are five count them one two three four five montreal canadiens on the right side of the ice below the circles there's zero excuse for that in a playoff game i don't know what happened i don't know where the wingers were i don't know why the wingers crashed down low so hard i have no clue what the breakdown happened that led to five canadians being on the wrong side of the rink but you know that's the kind of stuff that will kill you just those mental mistakes just a complete gaffe by the defense leads to a goal. And at that point, that's a big goal because that's a 2-1 to one hockey game. You know, as far as what I would like to see out of Montreal, I think Montreal really needs to simplify things. I mean, you know, we're really seeing Montreal for the first time play a team with both size and, you know, some veterans on the back end. You know, against the Maple Leafs, yes, they had some veterans on the back end like Jake Muzzin and Bogosian, but the Canadians were able to just physically impose their will on the Toronto Maple Leafs and dominate the board play, dominate the turnovers, cause chaos, and really, really, you know, capitalize on the turnovers that Toronto was committing. Winnipeg, on the other hand, in the Winnipeg series, Montreal was really just able to come out with their feet on the gas in all four games. And Winnipeg just looked discombobulated. And I think a lot of that has to do with obviously losing Mark Shifley, shuffles the entirety of the lines around. But, you know, the younger-ish defense of the Winnipeg Jets had a really hard time with keeping the scoring chances to a minimum. And even with Connor Hellebuck, it didn't really matter because the defense was not like porous by any stretch, but they were giving up some quality, quality chances. Because, you know, they were a younger defensive core. In Vegas, you have both. You have big boys. You have guys like, like I said, Alex Petrangelo, um, Alec Martinez on the back end. There's another guy who... His name is escaping me. I'm going to look it up. And then, you know, they also have their mix of talent. Like Shea Theodore is one of the best offensive defensemen in the entire National Hockey League. I think that there's really, you know, no questioning, you know, his talent. I mean, Nick Hague is 6'6", 230. Alec Martinez is 6'1", 209. Petrangelo is 6'3", 210. You know, Braden McNabb is 6'4", 216. Like, these Vegas Golden Knights have size. And then up front, you have guys like Mark Stone, who are 6'3", 202. Alex Tuck is 6'4", 220. Pacioretty's 6'2", 215. You know, these guys are not small. They're, they're a pretty stocky hockey club, honestly, all things considered. And then you compare that to the Montreal Canadiens, who are running a lot of undersized forwards. Our Caulfield is 5'7", 162. Philip Deneau is 6'1", 200. 
Brendan Gallagher's 5'9", 183. You know, Nick Suzuki is 5'11", 208. You know, these aren't exactly huge players. You know, I like the defense. The defense is pretty big. Obviously, Weber's 6'4", 229. Edmondson's 6'4", 227. Sherratt's 6'3", 234. You know, they have some, some size on the back end, but... You know, the forwards are not big, and I think we're really seeing the forwards struggle to generate those chances. And a lot of the, you know, part of the issue also is that they weren't generating second and third opportunities. There was a lot of one and done. After that first 10 minutes, a lot of the shots were a shot from the point, you know, kicked off in the corner, one and done. Or a shot from, you know, the slot. Yeah, you get a good opportunity, but there's no rebound. There's no tip. There's no scramble in front of the net. And I think that we're seeing... The Canadians struggle to to penetrate the middle of the ice because they're of the size difference. So, what adjustments would I like to see from Montreal? I would just like to see them keep it simple. I mean, we've seen Fleury give up some some really poor goals in this season, in this postseason. He has a tendency to let in a, a fluke bounce now and then. So, I think just keep it simple, you know shoot for rebounds try to generate those second and third opportunities you know even if you're undersized you know get a body in front of the net get two bodies in front of the net if you need to put two guys in front of the net to compensate for the size issue throw two guys in front of the net keep it simple don't try to make these fancy passing plays through the middle of the ice because honestly that's been the success formula for this team is capitalize off turnovers make your opponents pay for their mistakes and you know, I guess really that's kind of the 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 biggest thing that they've been doing this off season or postseason. I keep saying off season, postseason is they're kind of like vipers. You know, they're they're lying in the grass waiting for you to turn that puck over up the middle of the ice, and then bam, it's in the back of the net. You know, we saw that all the time in the Toronto series. So, you know, Montreal. I definitely think I'm, a lot of people aren't giving them the credit they deserve. You know, I'm not super sold on how good they really are myself just because that Canadian division was bad. (laughs) But, you know, they're playing a really good team now, and this is a really good litmus test to see what they can do. And, you know, in terms of the defensive side of the puck, they just got to be better all around, period. I mean the the screen the first goal was a triple screen that price never saw then the alex tuck goal then you know there was the third goal was a bounce off the skates of a guy in front of the net because the shot from the point didn't get blocked you know the the vegas gold knights aren't stupid they know they need to get in carry price's grill in order to score goals because you're really not going to beat him clean very often so that's exactly what they're doing they're sending two guys to the front of the net for a double screen they're sending a guy to the side of the net and then shooting for a tip, hoping it's going to happen. And guess what? It hits the skates, bounces into the back of the net. You know, Montreal is struggling right now. I mean, it's only one game. And, you know, Montreal's been off for a while. So you could see a little bit of that sweep hangover as it, as it was. But, you know, I'm not going to say that this is a must-win Obviously, you're not in trouble until you lose it until you lose a home in the playoffs. But I think that Montreal really needs to come out and make a statement. And the best way to make that statement is with a win. Ultimately, I do think the Vegas Golden Knights will win this series. Um, 
But would it surprise me to see Montreal win a little bit, but not as much as I think it would surprise other people. And I think that we need to start considering the Canadiens for what they are, which is honestly on paper, the defense is really good and the goaltending is really good. Obviously, the forwards leave something to be desired, but let's not let's not pretend the Canadians don't have some talent on this roster between guys like Caulfield, Suzuki, and on the back end, you know, guys like Jeff Petrie, who obviously is not playing, so we'll see if he plays tonight. But, you know, that's kind of my thoughts on the two third-round series to this point. Obviously, still very early on in. Um, by this time next week, I mean, who really knows, right? By this time next week, if both series wrap up in five games, I believe, we could potentially be talking Stanley Cup Finals. Um, If the Canadian series would have to end in five and the Islanders series would have to end in five in order for by this recording time next week for us to know the Stanley Cup Finals. So... That's kind of my general thoughts on the third round. Um, I do want to talk the Gerard Gallant hiring, but I do want to have either one of Tim or Steve here to talk over that with me because obviously being Rangers fans, I know they're going to have a lot to say about that. So I think we're going to just kind of keep it short, you know, short, sweet, roundabout 40-minute podcast Um just to keep things concise talking about that third round you know there's less series or fewer series i should say talk about this time so um like i said uh gonna talk to gerard gallant hiring don't worry we're definitely gonna get into that and we are gonna be talking maybe by this time next week maybe we have a stanley cup finals matchup set who knows so i think that's about it oh sorry I think that's about it. So I want to thank you guys for watching and we will see you guys again next time.